Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by a superb panel of leaders in the tech space to discuss another intriguing topic, communication between the C-suite and developers. Now before we delve deeper into the topic, let's just work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and also your interests outside of the workplace. So, Michael, would you like to kick us off? Uh, well, I'm actually probably uh, the very technical part uh, in the podcast today. Uh, I'm every every single day. I actually wear a couple of hats. One of them is being CTO on demand. Uh, I'm also a co-founder of a startup called Defi Hub, uh, where I'm actually not only just CTOing but uh, also doing a lot of development. And of course, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, outside of my work, I think I have a very typical hobby. Uh, I love traveling and escaping uh, into the nature. And uh, yes, I think uh, sometimes I must admit I'm being completely sacked by my by my work and I have a tendency to work too much. But uh, after so many years in it, I don't think I would like to trade it for anything else. Amazing. Thanks for that introduction, Michael. Uh, Lone, would you like to give us an introduction to yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Lone. I'm a team manager for an IT consulting company called Net Company, where I'm the manager of uh, 11 software developers. Uh, that are assigned to all sorts of different types of projects. Uh, and in my spare time, uh, I like to go hiking and do yoga and go to theater. Amazing. And last but not least, Lars. Yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me. My name is Lars Kruse. I work in Denmark at the Czech Collective, which is part of Implement uh, management consulting group and this is all new i've only been here for five days uh, but <clears throat> it's a consultancy and i'm a i'm a consultant and a mentor and an advisor at heart uh, i've been working in it consulting throughout my entire professional life which is 25 years and counting so the only exception to that has been the past 14 months uh, up until five days ago where i had an interim position as an as a teacher at copenhagen school of design and technology so my educational background is computer science combined with communication studies. So actually once I was a software developer myself in, in most recent time, I also took a, a master in leadership in business coaching when I found out that that was actually also something that I, that, I, that I did a lot. So I needed to build my competences in that space as well. So through my entire career, I have been engaged in what I'd say the cross lines between software and infrastructure and software development, lifecycle management. So in today's language, that would spell something like, you know, DevOps or continuous delivery. But but I've been at it so long that it's long before those terms even emerged. My C-level experience comes from the software and IT consulting businesses that I that I founded or co-founded. That would be actually five in total since I, I joined the, the, the workforce. So... Uh, um, uh, and then, of course, whatever insights are picked up with the customers that I that I advised throughout the years. So, in general, I'm inspired by uh, the elegancy and simplicity of lean principles, such as one piece flow and holistic system thinking and Kaizen and Jidoka and all that jazz. And I've made it my speciality to facilitate and optimize software development processes uh, as if they were small one piece flow software factories. Uh, not for the software developers, but together with them. Uh, so I claim to be the advocate of the software developers course or the developer experience, which is actually a new emerging term that I find very inspiring. Uh, one of my greatest hobbies right now is, you know, actually grandfathering, grandfathering. I, I became a grandfather two years ago, so that's lovely trying to revisit all that. But uh, other than that, I'm... Um, I'm I like cycling, bike, mountain biking and snowboarding and stuff like that. Do that as much as possible. And yeah. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. 
If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Amazing. And as the listeners will probably have picked up on the very entrepreneurial panel today, uh, and also quite a, a theme with with consultancies in the, you know, maybe a bit of competition between you guys in there too. But um, I'm sure we'll have some some sparring on this on this topic anyway. So you all have a um, a question or a statement surrounding the topic of today's podcast, which is communication between the C-suite and developers. So as usual. We'll make our way around the room, asking each of you to pose a question and give some reasons behind of it. So um, each of you will have an opportunity to give your take on the situation. Um, but let's start with Lars. Would you like to run us through your question and give some context behind it? Yeah, I think I'll actually give the context uh, first. Uh, so uh, most developers, they work in, in an agile context, uh, which tends to strike me as a bit of a paradox because most C-level management does not. Uh, so um, as Agile and Lean principles assume both a pull and a pull approach to work management and self-organizing, self-managed teams. But what I see in general is a lot of micromanagement and developing team being pushed uh, tasks into their uh, uh, workload. So my curiosity and my question would be along those lines, you know, how can C-level management sustain and guarantee that developers, defined broadly, truly have a voice in continuous improvement and the value stream? Uh, so, yeah. I think it's a really interesting question, and uh, I agree with the the conflict that often can be between the the desire or the benefits of working agile as a software development team, um, and then the C. Uh, levels need for control to at least to some extent uh, and I think it can be challenging to actually find a level of communicating this is a process or development process that's in control and give them the uh, the, the feeling that yes we will deliver and we will be within this budget and we will yeah, meet the, the, um, the deadlines uh, and still be able to uh, to be flexible and to adjust the process along the way. Um, and from my experience, there has to be some sort of agreement of overall milestones or something uh, overall to yeah, calm their nerves <laughs> on that level to, and to prevent them from going into detail and trying to micromanage. But it's not easy. Hmm. I, think, I think this is actually because the way the C execs and developers they are connected together or disconnected with the company. I mean, there is a huge difference in personalities between these two groups, because usually the C, the C suite, they are actually people that are very much goal oriented. They they are more focused on tangible results, uh, and they actually love instability. They love chaos. They thrive in it. You know, they have this managerial type of work. They are not so organized, and for them, it's like so much easy, so much easier to juggle between all those things. Whereas if you look on the developers, they are very stable. They love the stability. Uh, and yes, what you said, actually, Lona, that was, that was very important, that, of course, they, they would like to have this sense of mission, and, and, and they have to know that they are part of something. But the thing is that those differences, uh, if they can work those differences out, then they can achieve the impossible. That is my opinion. This is what I have seen. But I think the first point here would be to make sure that they understand what is different, what is different between them. Because that was exactly my problem that I had before. I couldn't understand the C execs. I thought they are just rude, condescending, uh, aggressive, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, it took me some time a few years ago to figure out that this is just normal. This is how they actually work. This is how they operate. Uh, whereas I was, you know, completely hermetically closed in my own little bubble. So did I understand you correctly? Uh, in your experience, the C-level or C-suite uh, likes 
chaos or more chaotic approach to these things you, because in, in no, my experience it's it's the other way around like the more okay. the more uh, predictable the situation are the more the, uh, in control they are uh, the happier they are and then the developers are the ones that uh, loves to go off and do something oh let's do this instead because that's really interesting or something nice uh, over here uh, yes, this, these are the drivers. The, the thing is, uh, what I just said, it might, okay, it might sound a little bit off, but the, the thing is, if you actually put the execs in a situation which is not so stable, uh, and they may be a developer, would, I would probably you know, melt down in a moment. Uh, <laughs> but the, these guys, they can work it out. And because they are, they are not focusing so much on the details, they you know, just go focus on the tangible results and the, the high-level goals, they can actually inspire and drive the team. And then it's us, the developers uh, and the technical people that have to work out all the nasty details and you know, all those boring things. Uh, but I think it comes from the stability. So if what, I've, what I have been doing testing in the past two years is the communication part between those two groups. Uh, and the whole thing started for me. I, I mean, my eyes opened once I realized what kind of differences there are between those two groups. Uh, and that, if, you, if I was supposed to explain like, like I did, yes? This is, these are my observations. It's, I mean, they thrive in a different working conditions. They are motivated by something else. Uh, and realizing the differences uh, can influence the way they actually inspire each other. Mm. And I have the situation at home uh, because uh, I, I always joke that with my, with my girlfriend, it's like uh, I'm making sure that she doesn't do anything dangerous. On the other hand, she's making sure that i never go to the same restaurant again <laughs> uh, so this is this is this this kind of inspiration hmm. yeah, right. yeah. Lo sorry to to put in there guys i was about to, to bring it on to you lars i know that was your question but i could see you eagerly waiting to <laughs> jump in and, and throw your opinion in there so take it away yeah no i, I just uh, i think uh I think there is the, there is some other things that you are mentioning here about you know a, a, a cultural clash, but 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 I don't think actually that it's uh, I think it's more about knowledge not being actually spread or curiosity actually you know people not really being curious about what happens. I think software developers know the software development process quite well, and uh, I think most software developers would claim that it's kind of a creative process that you don't you don't build complexity you, you grow it and and uh, and it's really difficult to basically just say this is how i want and, and i want you to implement exactly that uh one one risk is that they simply just you know become like glorified uh, supermarket you know uh, stock fillers basically telling them what exactly what to do and they're pretty clever they have they are they're usually you know uh, brighter than average, and they have long university you know, degrees, and and then they're being managed, right? And and they're, they're fully capable of, of doing whatever it is that they're supposed to do, and 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 to keep the anecdote of, of the supermarket, you know, stock filler, you know, you, you have a I don't know, like a can of I don't know shaving foam, and you're asked to put it in front of the wine gums, and 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 obviously if you're clever, you say no, it's not supposed to go there. I would like to raise my hand and say no, 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 this needs to go somewhere else, right? And, and then management come and said, no, 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 this is not how we're working. You know, I tell you what to do and you do it, you know, shut up and work. And if this is what, if this is what, how managers see software development as a, as a cost, not a, not an enabler, but, but as, actually as, an, as a cost, you just need to do what's, what you're being told and we need to minimize cost in this field. And then you miss out on, on everything that's going out in these, you know, on in these, you know, creative people's minds. Um, essentially, uh, uh, they don't. They don't get a voice. They don't get to be heard, and they don't get to actually be uh, uh, accommodated in in their needs or tech stacks or whatever it is. Uh, and I think a lot of C management misses the point simply because they are managing people in the software development space without knowing literally nothing or anything about software development. That's that's a big issue. And then they claim to be safe. You know, literally, state agile frameworks safe, but they but they don't know anything about software development. And that's a problem. I can confirm that. And I must admit that the point that you made in your question about the micromanagement, this is a huge issue. I have seen teams being dissolved, great teams, 
that simply fell apart because of micromanagement. Uh, and this is a huge problem. Uh, the whole idea, I mean, most the program, most programmers, they work according to Kanban or something similar, yes? The whole point mm -hmm. is about pulling the tasks, not pushing the tasks. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the things I have seen in the companies that I've been working in the past few years was that they started to actually putting more weight on showing the, the technical staff that they have a mission, they have a purpose, and their work actually is valuable for the company. So they started sharing regular financial reports, showing the impact of the features they implemented. And that kind of helped. But the micromanagement, uh, I haven't cracked the code why it's happening. Maybe it's just the, the way they manage it. Or maybe, as you, I mean, I would say, Lars, that you, you have a big point here. If you're about to manage a team of software developers, you have to be a little bit technical, at least, or have a CTO or somebody that is your, you know, technical wingman. Because mm. otherwise, I think if we get this top boss uh, that never touched it, has no idea what it is, uh, I, I think it's it's going to be a crash. I agree with the that technical insight is important, but I also think it's important to acknowledge why is it that the management level decided to start to micromanage, and that is based on they probably have to report on a more traditional project approach, uh, like a waterfall uh, product model, where you have uh, a certain budget, you have goals that you have to fulfill, and then they want to make sure that these goals are fulfilled. So how can we set up frames around the teams so that they can operate within that and still be able to report back to the management uh, on progress and on are they on track or are they not? But, but I think you're right. That, that's what happens. But this is also uh, what I reflect upon is that then you have management, you have this waterfall whole you know uh, approach where essentially you believe that you're in a in a in a in a construction paradigm where you need to build stuff. And and really what you are you're in a you're in a you're in a you know a creative uh, uh, paradigm where you actually need to grow stuff. Uh, and and uh, and and and. This is the problem because if you don't understand software, you shouldn't be in the software business. No, I agree. I'm not saying that the waterfall mm. model is uh, an ideal that uh, we should strive for, anything like that. I'm just saying that that part hasn't changed in my in my experience. So we have uh, software teams that would love to work agile, and we also have uh, uh, management saying that they want to work agile. But in the day-to-day -day work, what they're requesting is is actually feedback as if it was a waterfall model they were working for. Yeah. Um, and as long as that's the case, then then we will have this conflict of, of, yeah, we want to be agile, but we also want to control every little detail, which I completely agree, Lars, uh, drains uh, the creativity out of the process and uh, limits the, the team's uh, possibility of, of finding an optimal solution or trying out different things. I have a small question to you, Lona. Could it be uh, just this popped mm -hmm. in my head? Could it be because I'm in this business for almost 20 years now, and uh, everywhere, everywhere in the world, I think the est estimating the time of completion of a given tasks of a given task in IT, this is a huge. I mean, it's not easy, and mm -hmm. it's most most likely there are errors. And after 20 years, I still honestly, yeah, I don't get it right. <laughs> and it's very rarely, it's no. very rarely I get it right. Actually, could it be that? Actually, on the other side, the C the C level is disappointed with the fact that uh, these guys they are promising this, they are not delivering. But the problem is that as we you know opened up the patient, suddenly things got more complex. And at some point, the director came in and said like, ah, you should move this switch here, and that should do the other thing. That suddenly you know it's like sometimes it's like a house of cards. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Could it be that part of this that they are micromanaging and and not understanding, kind of like even pulling out from the discussion because, yeah, they feel like uh, whatever they say, they are not holding the promise, but it is difficult on the other side. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm also working in the consulting industry, so I know all about the headaches of estimation of tasks uh, in the beginning where you know practically nothing and then uh, have to explain why the estimates doesn't hold because, well, everything has changed in the project. Uh, I would love an alternative, <laughs> uh, but uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I don't really see the business model um, where you can 
go to a, a customer and be like, yeah, we will deliver it, but we won't be able to tell you when and how much it will cost you. Um, but I definitely think that a lot of the struggles come from this, uh, having to estimate upfront, um, having to commit, and then they uh, their experience is, um, they don't get what they were promised, so we have to follow it more closely next time, and then we end up with the micromanaging. Nice. And Lars, I know that was your question. Do you have anything <laughs> else to, to add on that just before we, we move on to the next the next topic? Well, let's move on. We we can we can we can segue back if it's uh, if it's relevant. So no, let's let's Brilliant. move on. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Well, Michael, what have you got for us? Actually, I don't have a question. I would like you to share uh, a situation from your life because I have one also. But the point is that you probably all have this one situation, this one use case when it happened that you came into conclusion that, okay, this isn't sustainable, this is wrong, but I can see a pattern here. And I'm talking about the communication between the C-levels and the developers. And do you have this kind of like a breaking point when you realize that these are like two realms, you know, two kingdoms, and and it needs some kind of a change, probably on both <laughs> sides. And uh, what did, how did you tackle this? Uh, because I would like to hear your short stories on, on how you tackled that problem, uh, because usually that's very inspiring. Uh, Lars, he made a very nice introduction of himself, and I'm actually... I'm following his way of developing his career, yes, because he had this uh, technical background and he started mm. building up soft skills. That's exactly, I'm copying his <laughs> career, you could say. Uh, but if you have those, I'd really like to hear them uh, because I think these are, these are going to be very inspirational. When did you, how, what was the situation when you realized that, okay, there is a clash of titans here? I, oh. Well, I had I had a different moment exactly as as you kind of almost guessed just that from my introduction, uh, Michael. That at some point I I built a consulting bureau and it was you know the the first years was tough and then suddenly we you know we catch wins and then one day I I basically found that I was I was uh, I was part of a of a leader management group. We were two. two two senior leaders and a junior uh, manager owning the company and we had 50 employees uh, and and i just realized that I, I was good at software and declarative pipelines and cloud computing and stuff like that but 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 the, but the, there were people skills that that we needed not just me but but all of our management group basically and this is i think this is quite common for for most startups when they when they hit i don't know 20 30 40 people because if you're a startup then you're then you're driven by enthusiasm and you know entrepreneurship and suddenly you become a real business and at that point uh, i realized that that um, i needed to i needed to either you know step down from from management and and go back into being a hardcore you know technical consultant or i needed to step up my leadership skills and and that's where i actually joined a a, a, a master training program and and and, to, and so i took a master in, in leadership and, and and business coaching uh, which is kind of a, a kind of a philosophical approach to to leadership but 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 and 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 trained myself to that and uh, um, i never looked back again from the perspective that the things that i learned through through that approach were you know so important and and it gave me you know uh, an insight and I, I i like you know also people management today because uh, i've i've learned you know the ropes for real mm. so that Anything was kind of my yes to add on that? um I don't know uh, if I have anything to add on that. I think you have a great point in that uh, a technical background is a very good starting point. And then at some point, you, I also realized that you need management skills, you need leadership skills to be able to navigate on the sea levels and not just uh, yeah, model through <laughs> with your technical skills. Um, so I think, yeah, that's the only comment I have on it. Um, no, yeah, that, that makes sense. and. 
Michael, I know it was more of a kind of a situational question, targeted more more at last. Um, is there anything you'd like to build on that? What's your experience? Actually, my experience was uh, a little bit traumatic because uh, I experienced something that you could call it the death of a thousand cats. Uh, as things were going good with our startup and uh, we were also on the side because we are self-funded, so we are still kind of like, you know, doing jobs on the side. As we were taking some bigger customers that, you know, had a lot more C-suite in them. Uh, at some point, I realized that uh, I'm going completely nuts because uh, I was actually resembling all those. Dif- I was experiencing all those differences, and then in the beginning, you know, uh, those people being value-driven, uh, loved some kind of a chaos, uh, forgetting about the, you know meetings, not telling you everything. And the point is that I had this projection. I thought that they are doing it on purpose. And I thought this is just, you know, they are just mean, concerning, aggressive and so on. But and at some point, I actually came back home and I was on the verge of a burnout. And luckily, uh, I was talking to, to my girlfriend and she's an expert in those things. And she started explaining me those things. And of course, as an engineer and a perfectionist, uh, what do you do? You don't believe. <laughs> so I had to verify all those things myself. And uh, after I kind of like started observing her behavior in many situations, I figured out that you know what? Actually, they are not condescending. They are not aggressive. Uh, this is my projection. Uh, of course, they do act in a certain way. But the whole point is, you know, it's all about understanding those differences and finding a key on how to work around them. And that was exactly when I decided to, you know, up my own soft skills uh, by learning everything about the human personalities, actually became, becoming also a certified consultant in that. And moving this career even further because next year I have uh, I already bought a lot of courses uh, that should even you know up my game to, to a different level, but that was exactly when I found it out. It was it was just before COVID uh, that you know things just I, I found out like this is those people are from a different planet, uh, and yeah, as I said, it nearly led to a burnout. So so that was a good uh, wake up call. Uh, yeah, and I suppose. Just off the back of that, uh, I, I have a question of my own that I'd like to pose to you guys. Um, and you mentioned that you upped your soft skills in particular, Michael. I'm just curious, if there was a, let's say, a young developer listening to this podcast now, how would you, this is open to the room, by the way, guys, how would you advise them to go about upping their soft skills? Where, where, where do you start? Actually, if I could talk to myself uh, and give myself a message 10 years ago, I would say, Michael, you should probably take a personality test and you should discuss it with a professional. Based on that, you will understand that all the things that you have in yourself, they are not weird. (laughs) Uh, You're not sick in any way. This is just you. And you should, you know, kind of like use this to your own advantage. Uh, And from that, I would definitely start I would probably start working with, you know, um, learning the power of saying no uh, and learning more about, yeah, learning more about communication with people, how to say the no and make sure that it's understood in the correct way. I think this is like, that will be the beginning. Uh, know yourself. And after that, start, you know, learning more about others. I've also had the, uh quite a lot of benefits from doing these personality tests. In the beginning, it's primarily for my own benefit, like uh, Michael also mentions. There's a good way to get to know yourself and to understand how you act in different situations. Um, but I also know from experience that some people find it very provocative uh, to put them into a box, to try to apply it to others, to be like, oh, you're that type of person. That means that you're acting like that. So it's not that I'm, uh, I am say you shouldn't do it. It's just I, th- I think for some it can be, yeah, uh, they don't like it. Uh, but I think it's a great point to be open to the fact that people have different uh, preferences or b- behavioral um, patterns, so to say, and also to understand that, yeah, you might be the developer and your task is to do this, but you will have to interact with other people with different tasks and thereby different goals, like different personal goals and different also, what is it that will make their managers happy, what are their, uh, what are their um, performance uh, evaluated on. Um, 
And I think that for young professionals, that can be a bit uh, different way of looking at it, uh, where they, some might t tend to look at it that everyone looks at the same way uh, as me. And for a software developer, that might, it's often a very technical, um, that they want to excel in the technical part of it and then neglect all the different relational parts or the business aspects or the communication aspects. So it's just to uh, to keep that in mind and then, yeah, keep an open mind or, and understanding how, why people be behave differently than you expect. I think I might have, uh, it might be an occupational hazard, but, but, but I would, I would give an advice, you know, along the lines of, you know, read the friendly manual. And by that, I mean that as a, as a human species, collectively, we know a lot about uh, human psychologies and, uh, and um, I think it would make sense to, I don't know, start reading some blog posts or, or, you know, some basic, just about getting, getting a hand because humans are pretty predictable actually. And, and, uh, and, when we're under pressure, uh, and and this is typically when communication between people goes, you know, becomes difficult. It's it's when we're under pressure, and and we actually have quite you know predictable uh, uh, patterns when we are under pressure, and and trying to understand some of these basic psychological concepts, you know, uh, about people, and then as I would, I I'm, I think I'll go with Michael here and say, then start to apply them to yourself, right? Try not try to fix others. But that insight you get from 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 um, uh, from reading some of these, you know, uh, uh, introductory uh, introductions to human psychology, try to see how that works on you. Right? Try to catch your own, you know, uh, faults, or, or try to, you know, stop yourself when you're when you're going, you know, off stray or whatever. Just basically try to understand how you how you react your own, and and be very forgiving about how people react towards you, because everyone is just under pressure. But, but understand how you work under pressure and then take it from there and, and then build on. Really. So, yeah, so build on knowledge. You know, yeah, read the friend manual to how human works. Can I add one thing to, to Lonnie's answer? Uh, because uh, I'm actually, I have, a no, I have some notes here on the side. Uh, you're right that the, the results of the test can be a little bit provocative, especially when people just test, you know, if they, what kind of, traits they have from the four main personality behavioral styles but it, this is why it's worth actually when you do the test have it you know have the feedback session with someone that is going to explain you because if you if, if you just test the four behavioral styles you get in total like 240 different possibilities but when you get the full test and a, a lot of different uh, there are different vendors in the market uh, then you can actually you get more than 1400 possible results because they don't test just the things that are outside. They also test your internal motivators, you know, your team roles and stuff like that. So that will be like an encouragement. Take the test, but also make sure that you get the feedback session because there are so many different interpretations uh, and there is so much more that can be found there. Uh, so you don't have to feel like you're going to be pushed into the box. Um, but yes, you're right. When I, when I did the test for the first time myself alone, I was like, oh, okay, so I'm this perfectionist. Uh, and it was on one side, it was like, okay, cool, I can get a lot of things done. But on the other side, uh, I was like, okay, no. Mm. So I have all those weird things in myself. Yes. Yeah, I agree. But the, in, my remark was more based on the experience I had uh, with a group of colleagues uh, doing this uh, test, and then afterwards came back to the office and went like, oh, you're doing like that because you're that type of person. And that's when you, you sort of use it to analyze other people, yeah, you should, you should uh, really uh, use caution because uh, it wasn't received well. <laughs> uh, that's true. When you actually confront people with that, uh, you always get a negative reaction. Uh, yeah. This is something I also tried on purpose. Uh, the whole trick is to actually do this behind the scenes. Uh, and this is probably going to sound funny, but, uh, you know, I'm the developer type. I'm the stable uh, perfectionist. My girlfriend, she's exactly on the opposite, the C-suite exec. Uh, and when it comes to you know being spontaneous, I actually plan it. She doesn't. She doesn't know about it. But when we go some places, you know, I'm like, ah, let's go to this restaurant. Uh, but the thing is, she thinks it's spontaneous. She doesn't have to know that I researched the whole area two weeks before, you know. And this way, you can satisfy the needs on the of the other side as well. But 
of course, if I told her that, you know, I checked everything two weeks ago, that would be like a disappointment because then it would be like, ah, oh, again, we are, you know, in your safe space. So, so yeah, that, that could, that's a trick that works, at least in my case. Yeah, I agree. That's, uh, that's, uh, sounds like a really good approach to, uh, to using it in your everyday life. Mm. I, I think your point is valid, Luna, about, you know, personality tests. We, we all want, to define ourselves, this is how we build our ethos over time. Uh, nobody wants to be defined by others. This is actually a, 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 a power trick. When when somebody, anybody tries to define you, you feel that they're trying to apply power to you, and you don't want to be powered. So again, we're back in basic psychology. You react simply to being defined, but you would like to define yourself. But but I'm also trained in through my my my, my coaching uh, 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 training to uh, to some of these personality tests and and certified to use one that's that using the the big five personality traits and I, I i use them like you just described michael it, it's a personal thing I, I i like these tests and i like to sit down with a professional who can go through the test uh, with me but but it's for my purpose it, it's it, i i need the test because i want to learn more about myself so I don't believe in it like a screening tool for, you know, hiring people or something like that. Never, ever. I would say that that's wrong use of personality tests. But but as but but as a, you know, but as a conversational, you know, kicker, get, getting the conversational started about, you know, who are you? What do you want? What do you like? How do you how do you how do you react under stress and how what are your enthusiastic about stuff like that? It, it's 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 a brilliant conversational tool, but that's all it is. I have a I have an example of a company that uses them for hiring. Uh, they because but they are doing different things. They are not using it for developers. Uh, it happens very rarely, but uh, but they have actually a great success. So it all depends, I think, what's the purpose uh, behind it. And people that are that they are recruiting, they are informed about this. That okay, we are going to make you the personality test, and if you have those traits, it's probably. But they explain it in a way that if you have those personality traits. You will. It's going to be much easier for you, and you're going to be much more effective. Um, and they have actually. I, they, I wouldn't say they are 100% efficient, but uh, so far it's working very well for them. So I think it depends. You know, I think it's like you know, exceptions will always happen uh, in many places. Yeah, and I think there's some. Sorry, Lars. I think I think there's some um, some great tips and advice to the younger audience. Uh, uh, and I do really appreciate that. And I think you've motivated me to go home and do a personality test myself and maybe spend two weeks booking a restaurant for my girlfriend next time we go somewhere and pretend it was spontaneous. I think that's a great tip. Um, so I'll be stealing that one. But Lars, is there something you wanted to add on that or should we move on to, to Lone's question? No, I, I, I just a, a quick remark. I mean, as I said, I'm five days into a new employment at a company here. And I'm also being exposed to a personality test. But one of the things that I like really about this approach is that it was not done through my employment uh, interview. It, I, so it, it was offered to me on the second day when I entered the company. So this is really something, this, this company that I entered into now, this consultancy, we're using it as a personal tool, not a screening tool for hiring. And I think there's a, there's a very important difference. I agree. And to be honest, this is also what I do. This is not for screening. It's more for like, you know, building more motivation mm. in the team, finding mm. out what really motivates people. Uh, that's something what we did also in our little startup is we found out what is actually the driving force behind us. How can we reward ourselves in the best way and how we can communicate? Amazing. Thanks for that, guys. Really insightful stuff on that topic. Um, and. You know, thanks for answering my question that I put forward on a bit of a whim there. I appreciate that. Um, but, Loan, I'm interested to hear what you've got for us. Do you have a statement or a question surrounding the C-level and, and developers? Yeah, so in, in my experience, um, the C-level is concerned with uh, con communicating things like the vision or the purpose or these high-level things related to the company, uh, whereas the developers are often more focused on how does this affect me? The more day-to-day -day things. Um, 
a few years back, I saw this Venn diagram of what information is available on the internet. And then you have on the one side, you have what's available and then you have what people are actually looking for. And the only thing that's overlapping is the menu in the canteen. And I think it's a very good illustration that a lot of information is provided to the developers, but a very limited part of it is actually what they're looking for. Um, so do you have any experience in how to make that as relevant uh, or more relevant uh, to the developers? Um, I think building a company uh, uh, with, with so many people in, in different hierarchies needs that you need to have a vision and a strategy and you need to have some everyday tactics. Uh, but the thing is that they 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 need to they need to uh, relate to each other. So essentially, I would say that if the management is really skilled, then uh, what they do is that they basically try to nurture the vision of where are we going. So, so they, they will be looking at, at, at holistic, systemic, uh, 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 long-term goals. What, what are we trying to achieve uh, on the long-term? And that and hopefully that could be, I mean, a lot of these uh, uh, companies uh, are, are publicly owned and, and, and need to make a, you know, quarterly good, you know, uh, uh, numbers. And, and, and this is potentially difficult because then they have, they, it's hard to have a long-term goal. But, but I think this is the purpose of, of, the, of the upper management, the upper, upper management. They need to have a vision. Where, where are we going? And then you need to day-to-day management to actually develop a strategy, like, like a plan, a roadmap. If this is the vision, how do we then get there, right? Uh, and 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 this needs to be communicated very clearly with the with the upper management. If this is your vision, then this is our strategy. And then you need to agree. Yes, cool. If I believe that it's going to take us there, and once you have that, the people on the floor, so to speak, the blue collar workers or the everyday workers or people who are not engaged in management, they need to develop tactics that apply to the strategy. And they shouldn't be forced to do specific tactics. They should develop them themselves. If this is the strategy, then what do we need to do in the everyday work? This is engaging people in actually saying, we're trying to reach this goal. So so how does our everyday work life look like? And so, so my, my go-to would always be to try to engage people in this you know, work. Yeah, I completely agree that that's uh, the ideal approach. Uh, but... In my experience, it just has a tendency to, uh, I don't know how to say it, but um, dilute in the process. Like you, you start with a big vision and to actually convert it to something meaningful uh, somewhere down the line, you just end up with something, you, uh, fluffy words or something that doesn't really uh, translate to the everyday work. Um, but but that's, this is, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but I think... Sometimes, often, this is because the management, the upper management, actually don't have a vision. They don't know where they're going, and if if you don't know where you're going, everywhere will every road will take you there. So, so it it all falls back to if if you want people to be a tactic based on you know healthy strategies, then these healthy strategies need to be based on a vision. And if 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 you can't if you can't tie that together, I agree with you 100%. Then it all falls apart. So it's all back to the vision. It's all back to the vision. Who owns the vision? Who owns the strategy? Who owns the tactics? And so you all own something, but you and you shouldn't step on each other's toes. You shouldn't do micromanagement. You shouldn't basically say, you shouldn't have management saying these are the tactics. That's wrong. They should say these are this is the vision. Michael, vision, strategy, tactics. What do you think? That's a great triangle because <laughs> uh, statistical IT department, developer department, DevOps department. Most people there are, you know, stable, compliant. A lot of perfectionists, a lot of people that love stability. What really caters to those groups is when you look on the stable people, it's like let's build it together. And for the perfectionists, for the compliant people, it's like let's build it right. So it's all about, you know, communicating the vision in a way that they feel as a part of it. And I think the top of the cake here, that would be, you know, the sense of a mission. When you communicate just a strategy and it's all, you know, like this artificial flattery, 
this is not going to get you anywhere. I mean, those people, they have to see the results of their work. And I remember just before COVID, I was, uh, I went actually to a lecture by, by Martin Thorborg. And uh, what he said there, the whole point is about, you know, a well-oiled IT department, the developer department, there has to be this mission and people have to see the results of the work. So, you know, this is actually, this is not an easy task. Communicating from the top management, everything that Lars said, you know, all, all the strategy, all the vision, the high points, so that those people, they feel like, okay, let's build it together. The other part is going to say, let's build it right. And everybody can see the results and the sense of mission and purpose in this. Because if this is just going to be like, you know, okay, ah, there comes another meaningless uh, report. There comes again this weird meeting that we have to listen to and there is nothing relevant for us. I mean, these are like, uh, you can, you know, it's like instead of setting fire in people, you set fire under the people. And I've seen, uh, I've seen at least two companies in the past few years where people were just, you know, like jumping the ship because something like that was happening. There was nobody to, you know, convey the vision in such a way that, you know, people had the feeling that, okay, we can build it together, we can build it right. And it has, we have this common mission, this common goal, and we have this sense of purpose. And we can see that, hey, what we just did, uh, you know, we have been working whole month in this, what we just implemented, there comes like, you know, this increased revenue or a lot of customers are so happy. You know, see the tangible results. Uh, and I th this managerial style is actually visible in a way. I, I, I did something, uh, I, tested, I tested this approach in a way that I looked on how the support is working in such companies. Uh, and if you have this right managerial style in companies, you will also notice that they have much better support. I mean, of course, this is just my hypothesis, you know, it's like uh, there is no scientific background, this, but this is just exactly what I, what I was experiencing, at least here on Danish markets. And I was testing companies where I knew how they manage it, more or less. Yet. So that would be that would be something I would like to add into this. And this artificial flattery and those meaningless reports, that's not going to get you anywhere. I mean, majority of developers, they have a bullshit detector built in. They are going to see it through immediately. Yeah, that's also my experience that uh, uh, low tolerance for bullshit. <laughs> so yes, yes, not, yes. not too many uh, fancy slides and not too many uh, yeah, statements that don't really have that much meaning. Um, they don't really work for, for <laughs> that. And actually, people. Uh, and actually, now what Lars said that he was offered a test after he joined the company. That's exactly because you have also, uh, you have also tests that, uh, that only check your motivators. Uh, doing something like that, and then you can figure out how you can actually convey this. You know, it's like uh, maybe you just have to make those meetings and uh, whatever in a different, in a completely different way. Uh, figure out what really motivates those people, because there is like at least sixteen. Uh, the biggest test I know has like sixteen different motivators. Yes, so so there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of possible angles how you can tackle it. Hmm. Love anything to add on that? Yeah. Well, I, I, into the conversation in general, not specifically to what Margaret just mentioned, but you know, uh, with the uh, with the possibility that this is you know sounds cheesy or too Simon Sinek or whatever, then then I would say that I'm very inspired by by some of these um, management principles by by Toyota, basically insisting that uh, managers are leaders. And 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 making that distinction between management and leadership uh, 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 very conscious. So uh, um, and they they have this concept in Toyota called Genshi Kenbunzo, called go see for yourself. And and they have a principle about managers that you cannot manage people if they do work that you do not understand. So you have to go out and understand what, what the people that you are leading. What are they doing? Understand their work processes, their workflows. And when you have learned that, you will be able to to lead them, not manage them. So so we are trying to develop leaders rather than managers. Remember that we're dealing with people who have spent years and years and years at university. They're really, really clever. They are skilled in, in every profession. And they probably also took, uh, I don't know, uh, a class during university in, in management. So they don't need to be managed, right? But, 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 but everyone would like a leader, 
to look up to. So, so be a leader rather than a manager. Be a servant to your people instead of a, you know, a boss. And again, I, I mean, that's that's Simon Sinek. So, but I said it first. I think I don't. <clears throat> I like the distinction that you made because you, you're right. If a good leader doesn't have to really manage people, I mean, the manager is also required. But the point is, I'm trying to to paint something here. A leader is more or less like a mentor. People will follow automatically. They don't need any further motivation for that. Uh, and the managerial role is also important, but this is a different, this is a completely different skill. Uh, I, I, I would actually, I would actually like to challenge you on that, so, because if you have good leadership, then management is not required. That is something I'm trying to develop because I have no issues with leading, uh, but I personally think I'm not a good manager, for example. And this is why I'm. This is where I'm trying to now bridge my own skills. I mean, become a better manager. Yes, uh, being aware of your own deficiencies is also kind of like uh, the first step to your own improvement. Uh, but at least I see it. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know. I will find it out next year uh, as I have to attend in two different courses. What's your opinion on that, though? Uh, I completely agree. Uh, that's a big difference between being a manager and being a, a leader. Uh, and definitely uh, leadership is what should be the aim. Uh, as Lars mentions, that uh, for sure we can leave the managerial disc uh, the, yeah, de decisions to the team itself or the developers themselves if we're just uh, leaders enough to show them the way. Um, so I completely agree on that. Amazing. And thank so, sorry, sorry, Michael. I was about to say thanks, thanks to Lars for uh, for quoting Simon Sinek on us there. Um, <laughs> although he's claiming claiming that original, but um, <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt you on that, Michael. Go ahead. Uh, a few days ago, because I can't, this is actually the very first thing with this with this you know lack of managerial skills. And a few days ago, I was actually challenged, and and that was a CEO typical CEO advice. I was simply told in a very brutal way. Okay, you are a good leader. If you suck like a manager, as a manager, just keep on doing it more and more. At some point, you will, you know, you will just get better at it. And in the beginning, you just have to swallow it and, but try to do your best, read, educate yourself. This is exactly what I decided to do. <laughs> so, uh, but I think these are two distinctive roles. And, and if someone has both, can be a great leader and be a great manager. Uh, this is, I think, such person is unbelievable magnet, I would say. Amazing. Lars, would you like to wrap that point up or is that being covered? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Brilliant. I don't have any... <clears throat> well, I, I think that's a great way to, to wrap the whole conversation up, I suppose. Unless anyone else has, has one more rabbit hole they'd like to go into. Nope. Perfect. Well, Brilliant. Thanks, guys, for uh, for joining me on the podcast today. Just before we end things here, I need to say a massive thanks to, to our guests who have joined us today. We've had Lars, uh, Michael and Lone. So I do really appreciate you taking the time today, guys, to, to join us. And there's been some really great insights, some awesome advice as well for the younger listeners. So I'm sure this one will be, be a hit in particular. Um, just another note, if you or anyone you know would like to feature on a podcast you can drop me a message i'm jake stamp you can find me on linkedin or email me at jake.stamp at evolution-nordics.com thanks again to all the guests and thank you guys for listening